Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. The title of tonight's study is The Coming King, Prophecies About the Messiah's Birth. And so before we get into our study, just want to have another time in prayer. We want to honor the Lord. We want to just ask him to give us a deeper knowledge, uh, fresh insight into his word. And then, of course, by the power of his Holy Spirit, help us to uh, apply his word to our lives. So let's go before him one more time. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for uh, this season. We thank you for every day, Lord, that you give to us. And Lord, we just lift up this study. We pray that it will be edifying. We pray, Lord, that we'll leave this place better than when we came in. Help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. And also pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may I decrease and may you increase and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so obviously, uh, we know that Christmas is coming up. And so hopefully... We all know the reason why we celebrate Christmas, and if you don't know, um, you will know or at least remember uh, by the end of the study. And so tonight, we're not going to get into the entire Christmas story in great detail. Um, You know, Pastor Jim is going to do that in the next few weeks, and so I didn't want to do that, and then you'll be hearing the same message over and over, which you probably heard it over and over anyway, which is great. But I just want to focus on the prophecies leading up to Jesus' birth and um, to just cover anything that has to deal with that. And I'm sure I'm not going to hit all of it. So we have uh, a certain amount of time to get through it. And so um, there are some scriptures that popped out. And so those are the ones uh, that we are going to cover. And so we are going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament looking at these Old Testament prophecies uh, about Jesus Christ. And sometimes people may ask, well, well how do you know that the Bible is Uh, the word of God. How how do you know that? Well, this is one of the reasons. One of the reasons, by the way, is are are the prophecies, the prophecies that have come to pass. And if there's many prophecies that have come to pass, we have no reason to believe why the, the other prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, why they won't come to pass as well. And so that's just one reason. And so we'll get to that in greater detail as far as how do we know the Bible's the word of God in, in our future studies, Lord willing. Um, but, but tonight, as we get into these prophecies about the Messiah's birth, you are going to see and hear some verses repeated. And that's going to be on purpose. Because the reason for that is that I will be um, emphasizing different points about those verses at different times during the study. And so, for example, you're going to see uh, verses like Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You're going to see that more than once. That, that's going to be on purpose because I don't want to cover everything, for example, about that verse at the same time. So that, that's something that you can expect. And so one thing um, I want to start with as far as prophecies about Jesus' birth or his coming is concerned is that um, the, the first one is in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15. So that's very early in the scriptures. And so, by the way, since we're talking about um, the, these prophecies concerning um, the Messiah's birth, 
I, I do feel that it's necessary to let you know what it means when we say Messiah. Well, the word Messiah, of course, is the English word. It comes from a Hebrew word. So, um, you know, what it means is anointed one or chosen one. And then Christ is what you'll see in the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so uh, Christ is, of course, an English word, but it comes from a Greek word. It has a Greek word behind it. And so as we look at uh, Genesis 3.15, where we're going to see the first prophecy that we're going to cover tonight that's related to the Messiah's birth, the anointed one or the Christ's birth. And so here it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so what we're seeing here is that in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. So Eve, of course, was deceived by the serpent. And the serpent, of course, uh, was used by Satan. And then you saw Eve give the forbidden fruit to her husband, Adam. And so Adam, he was just flat out disobedient. He wasn't deceived. Um, he, he just was disobedient. And so in Genesis 3.14, which we don't see here on the screen, um, you see that God first pronounces a judgment on the serpent. So he first pronounces judgment on the animal that Satan used to deceive Eve into eating that forbidden fruit. But here in Genesis 3.15, we see that God is pronouncing a judgment on the devil, on Satan himself, who had used the serpent. And so this is what we see. And so because Eve was deceived and Adam just flat out was disobedient, this sin affected all of mankind. It affected creation. And so all humans, by the way, we all have a sin nature. It affected fellowship with God. The fellowship with God that they had was broken. Sickness is in this world. We have diseases. We have disabilities now. We, we have death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, all because of Adam and Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden. They fell to the trap of the enemy. But these words to Satan that we see in Genesis 3.15, this is what we call the proto-evangelium. That means that this is the first gospel. In other words, this, this is the first place in the scriptures where, where there's a promise of a savior. The first gospel. So according to this verse, what you'll see here is that Satan and his demons will be at odds with mankind. Because it says, and God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And of course, you know, men and women get together and, and have offsprings. And so you'll, you'll see this, this battle back and forth with Satan and, and mankind. So we see that going on. But then we also see that the Messiah's victory is foretold. Because... You see there that it says there's also going to be enmity between your seed, speaking of Satan, and her seed. And notice the word seed, that second one there, has a capital S. It's speaking about the Messiah. It's speaking about the Christ, Jesus Christ. And so we see here that, that his victory is foretold. You see, the enemy, Satan, is going to bruise his heel. And when did that happen? 
It's talking about the cross. It's talking about Jesus' suffering and his death. So, so yes, the enemy, Satan, is going to get his licks in. But ultimately, Jesus is going to be victorious over, over Satan. He's going to bruise his head. In other words, Jesus is going to crush his power. He's going to crush Satan's authority, which he did through his death and through the resurrection. And so here, and once again, uh, Genesis 3.15, we see the proto-evangelium, this first gospel, this promise of a savior. And then we also see in Genesis 3.15, as we get to our next point about this coming Messiah, about the birth of the Messiah, we see here in this same verse, Genesis 3.15, that Jesus will be born to a virgin. And where do we get that? Well, you look at the word seed, it says her seed. Well, if you study biology, you know that man carries the seed, but the women carry the egg. But, but here is a hint that this is going to be a virgin conception, a virgin birth, because it says her seed with the capital S. And so we see all kinds of things all wrapped up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But, but then you look at Isaiah 7, 14. It's a very familiar verse. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son with the capital S and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, in context, as we look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7, you know, God promised that Judah will not be defeated by the confederacy of Rezin, who was the king of Syria, and of Pekah, who was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And in this prophecy, it's twofold. You know, some people say that it has a near and far um, fulfillment, but a better term would be reference. And so here in this verse, Isaiah seven fourteen, there's a double reference when it comes to this prophecy. There's a near one. And the near application or reference to this prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14 is that this sign of this virgin um, conceiving and bearing a son, this sign had an immediate significance to Ahaz, uh, who was the king of Judah at the time, because they were afraid. The northern kingdom, Israel, Syria, they were teaming up, coming against Judah. They were afraid. And, and so this message here in Isaiah 7, 14 was to give... Um, him some type of comfort, him and the people of Judah comfort. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel. It was to give them comfort. And so to, just so you can know that everything's going to be okay, that Judah, King Ahaz, you won't be defeated. But, but instead, Rezin and Pekah, the, the king of Israel, that they're going to be defeated. So to give you a sign, you know, one, one interpretation of this is that there's going to be a woman who was then a virgin. She will get married, conceive, and will bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. That was the near reference that, that, that happened closer to the time of Ahaz. Now, it wasn't a miraculous birth like we know Jesus' birth to be because this woman here in this interpretation, this near application in this prophecy this person was a virgin, got married, then conceived, and so forth. And it was to be a reminder that God was with his people. That, that yes, Syria and, and Israel, they're, they're coming against you. The northern kingdom are coming against you, but they're going to be defeated. 
But here's a promise. Here's a sign. And God is going to be with you. That's, that's what Emmanuel means. God with us. And so that's the near prophetic reference. That has already um, taken place, of course. And then there was a distant reference um, of Isaiah 7, 14. So this is what we call, again, a double reference. And so the far reference would be an application to Jesus Christ, where there would be a miraculous conception, where no man would be involved in the pregnancy of the Virgin Mary. And by the way, Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, he quoted this prophecy, the same prophecy in Matthew uh, chapter I believe it's in chapter 2. No, it's in uh, Matthew one twenty three. Matthew one twenty three. This is where Mo, uh, Matthew quoted this prophecy that was made by Isaiah more than seven, at least 700 years before Jesus was born. And so we could turn there real quick if you have time or you can write it down in Matthew one twenty three. This is what it says. While Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary. So in Matthew 123, it says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so Isaiah 714, once again, had a double double reference in this prophecy, one closer to the time of King Ahaz and then the ultimate far fulfillment in Christ that we see in Matthew chapter one, verse 23 confirms that this is ultimately about Jesus. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and it will be a miraculous conception. No man will be involved. God himself will be involved. This will be a miracle. But another thing we see about the Messiah is that the Messiah, according to prophecies in the Old Testament, would be a descendant of Abraham. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God speaking to Abraham. That time, his name was Abram. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, but, well, how do you find in there that the Christ, that the Messiah, is going to be a descendant or a, 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 an offspring of Abraham. Well, the only way that all the families of the earth will be blessed is, will be through the fact that the, the Israelites are descendants of Abraham. And Jesus, of course, was an Israelite. And through Jesus, the Messiah, everyone would have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven, to receive that forgiveness have a relationship with God the Father, and then enter into eternity and spend forever with the Lord. All because of the Messiah who would come through a man, a regular man, Abram or Abraham. And in Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, going to have a little New Testament here. It says, and the scripture, speaking of the Old Testament, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Those Gentiles are people who are not Jews. We're not Jews. I'm not a Jew, so I'm a Gentile. But the scriptures foresaw that God would justify Gentiles, non-Jews by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, 
all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so there, once again, so even the New Testament confirms that this is talking about Christ, how all nations will be blessed in Christ, a descendant of Abraham. But also we see that the Old Testament prophetically talks about the Messiah being a descendant of Isaac. And Isaac, by the way, is uh, one of the sons of Abraham. See, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, and this is the Lord speaking to Isaac. The Lord said to him, and I will make your descendants, your offsprings multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so you see that similar promise that was made to Abraham. You see it flowing through Isaac, the son of promise, the son that God promised to Abraham and Sarah. And so the Messiah, yes, will be a descendant of Isaac. And that, of course, has been fulfilled. So check off that box for Jesus being the Messiah or the Christ. The scriptures also tell us that the Messiah will be a descendant of Jacob. And Jacob, by the way, um, is, is one of the sons of Isaac. In Genesis twenty-eight fourteen. here we see the Lord speaking to Jacob in a dream. He says, also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You, you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you see, ultimately, you know, hints of the Messiah coming through the bloodline of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And another name for Jacob, by the way, is Israel. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Okay, so I wanted to throw that out there just in case you weren't aware of that. But the scripture also tells us that the Messiah will be a descendant of someone else. And this is another prophecy. And so the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus says will be a descendant of Judah. Well, we get hints of that in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And in context, we have Jacob, whose name, again, is also Israel. We have him sharing his final words with his sons. And so in speaking to Judah or in regard to Judah, it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him, that is to Shiloh, Notice the hymn has a capital H, shall be the obedience of the people. So Shiloh is a messianic title. Shiloh, in other words, is, is a title for the Messiah, Hebrew, or Christ, Greek. Shiloh could mean peaceful or tranquility. Or Shiloh can mean whose it is. Or to he to whom it belongs. In other words, the, the right to rule belongs to Shiloh or the Messiah. And so another hint here 
is what we see in, in verse 49 and 10 or Genesis 49, 10 of the Messiah. This is another hint of the Messiah in this chapter and verse. The Messiah will be a descendant of Judah, but also the Messiah will be a descendant of David, which means that David is from the tribe of what? He's from the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's a descendant of Judah, one of the 12 uh, sons, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Messiah would be a descendant of his, of this great king, also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, many of you are already familiar with this. We just went through the study of 2 Samuel. You see here in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, it says, And your house, speaking to David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That is a hint of the Christ, of the coming Christ, Jesus the Christ. Christ is not his last name, it's his title. But also in the Old Testament, prophetically, or in other words, you see prophecies of the Messiah's roles. You see prophecies of the roles of the Christ, of Jesus. And one of those roles is that the Messiah or the Christ will be a king. And so once again, here's... um, you know, a repeated verse. I gave you a heads up that some verse is going to be repeated because uh, you know, I'm going to be hitting on some points at different times of, of certain verses. And so here, once again, it says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So here, once again, so not only do we have a hint that the Messiah is going to come uh, from the lineage of David, from the bloodline of David. But also you see that the Messiah's throne shall be established forever. When you hear about a throne, you're you're talking about kingship, that he's going to be a ruler. And so the Messiah is going to, he's going to be a king who's going to rule forever. And then we have in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five, it says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. Notice the key word, king with the capital K. He shall reign and prosper and he'll execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. That is going to take place during the millennial reign of Christ. Another term, another way we can say the millennial reign of Christ is the thousand year reign of Christ. Jesus Christ literally is going to come back in the second coming. And he's going to rule over this earth for 1,000 years. And believers, those who come back with him to this earth in glorified bodies, we're going to rule. We're going to reign with him. He doesn't need our help, but he's going to allow us to be his assistants. What a blessing. What a great promise that is for believers. But, but the next thing, if you're wondering, the next thing on the prophetic calendar before the second coming of Christ is the rapture. Just so you know, the rapture first. We, we need to go up first. And that will end what we call the church age. We're in the church age right now. The, the, the church is still being assembled. There's some people 
that God knows will believe in him if given the opportunity that has not received Jesus yet. And so once the church is completed, the rapture is going to take place. We don't know when that is, but it can happen anytime. There's nothing that needs to happen before the rapture takes place. And then you have the seven-year tribulation period, then the second coming of Christ, which I mentioned before. But it's, again, during the second coming of Christ, it, where it says, a king shall reign and prosper. That's where that applies to, the millennial reign. He'll reign and prosper, execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. But notice this. Earlier in that verse, Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, he, I'll raise up to David a branch. You see, David's family tree, it was cut down, so to speak, because God had promised that nobody from the line of Jeconiah, one of the kings of Judah, that nobody from his line would ever sit on the throne of David. And so it seems like David's family tree, his line had been cut off from reigning, so to speak. And so this was a great promise that, that yeah, the, that family tree may have, been, may have been cut off because of Jeconiah. But, but God says, I will raise up to David a branch. I'll raise up to David according to his humanity. I'll raise up a descendant of David. A branch of righteousness. So, so he will be like a like a shoot, so to speak, that's growing from a tree stump after it's been chopped down. And Jesus, this Messiah, will be ruler of the nation. And so I hope we're all seeing this, that one of the Messiah's roles is to be king. But then we're going to go back to an earlier verse that we covered to support this point. Because notice that it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That, that is speaking of the fact that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to rule. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And that scepter, that authority to rule will not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until the Messiah or Shiloh comes, as we covered earlier. But if we also continue to look at prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. We also see that another one of his roles was prophet. And that's according to Deuteronomy 18, 15. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. And, and this is Moses speaking, by the way. So so the Lord had, had given this information to Moses that, that he was going to raise up a prophet like him, an Israelite. And it says, him you shall hear. Him you shall hear. That's very interesting. Because if you remember in the New Testament on the mountain of transfiguration, Remember when Jesus was glowing, so, so all that glory that was hidden under the, his humanity began to show on that Mount of Transfiguration. And, and so you have Peter, uh, James, and, and John there on that mountain with him. And one thing that 
that God said while Jesus was on that mountain. This is my beloved son. What did he say? Hear him. Jesus is the final, most clear revelation of God. Because in the past, God has spoken through just regular men, prophets and so forth. He's spoken in various ways. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days, the scriptures tell us, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, he's spoken through his son. So in other words, Jesus, God, the son, the son of God will be God, the father's mouthpiece. Whatever he hears, the father say, Jesus shared it. And so Jesus and the father never butted heads. And so all the word that you see in the Old Testament, Jesus agrees with that. Because God has a triune nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are always in agreement. And so you have some people today who would twist the scriptures and say, oh, Jesus never talked about that topic. Oh, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Oh, Jesus. Wait a minute. If it's said in the Old Testament and Jesus is God, then Jesus said it. He agrees with it. So it's covered. Any topic that's covered in the Old Testament. That's covered in the new. Jesus agrees with that. Jesus, one of his roles as Messiah is prophet. But he also served as priest. The chosen one, the anointed one. He was appointed for these roles as the Messiah, as 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 prophet, king and priest, all wrapped up in the one. Psalm 110, verse 4. You can also see this verse repeated in the New Testament. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which was a higher order of priesthood than the priesthood of Aaron. And so Jesus has this high order of priesthood. See, those from the lineage of Judah were not, they couldn't be priests. You had to be a Levite from the tribe of Levi and then of a descendant of Aaron who was a Levite in order to be able to be a priest. But, but Jesus from the tribe of Judah, but yet and still he has a higher order of priesthood than Aaron. Why? Because Jesus is much more than a man and we'll get to that. But this Messiah, it is prophesied just to wrap this up. This point up in regard to roles, he is prophet, king, priest. But then the scriptures also tell us concerning the Messiah's birth. It also tells us the place. Micah 5, 2, for example. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you, Shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So this king that we've been talking about uh, from the lineage, from the family line of King David, from Judah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which was also the hometown of King David. And it was interesting about the, the name Bethlehem is that Bethlehem means house of bread. And when Jesus came in the New Testament, what did he call himself? He called himself the bread of life. 
the bread of life born in, in the house of bread, Bethlehem. And, and so it's prophesied where the Christ would be born. This coming king, this Christ. In fact, this was the same prophecy that, that the priest shared with the Magi who came to Jerusalem looking for the king in Matthew chapter 2. These Magi, these wise men looking for the king. And so these priests shared with them this prophecy in Matthew 5, 2 about where the Messiah would be born, this, where this coming king would be born. But another prophecy about this coming Messiah, this Christ, is that not only will he be king, prophet, and priest, not only will he be the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David, but this Messiah would be fully God. He is fully God. The Messiah, the Christ, Jesus is truly God, as some would say. And again, some of these verses might be on repeat, but that's because I'm emphasizing different points here. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, it says, In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. In other words, Jehovah Sitkanu or Yahweh Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. That, that shall be the, this Messiah's name, this ruler's name. So he's using the same name as God, the father, Yahweh or Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. And that is so fitting because we can only be declared righteous through faith in Christ. And so when we repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we put our trust in him for salvation, then his righteousness is put into our spiritual account. And now we have a right standing with God. Now we are not in many, in, in, at enmity with God. We're not enemies of God anymore. We've turned around. Our backs are no longer facing God. When relationship with him, all because we have a right standing with him. Why? Because of the Lord, our righteousness, because of Jesus Christ. Scripture, another scripture. And again, this is one from earlier, but I want to focus on another point of this scripture to, to show that the Messiah is fully God. Notice the name Emmanuel. We talked about it earlier. It says, this virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In other words, God with us. And so, yes, his name is Jesus, but Emmanuel describes who he is. He's God with us. But then getting back to Micah 5.2, just to show you once again that the Messiah, that Jesus is God, that this coming Messiah that's prophesied about in the Old Testament is God himself. Notice where the, Messiah's come, where the Messiah comes from. Yes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but, but notice where he's from. It says, whose goings forth are from 
of old from everlasting. In other words, the Messiah will be from eternity. Jesus always existed. He is the everlasting or eternal God who at a certain time in history, yes, was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you see this on many Christmas cards. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I'm just going to focus on a little bit in this verse just to show you once again that the Messiah is prophesied to be God in the flesh. And so notice that first part. For unto us a child is born, but it says unto us a son is given. And remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the fact that the son is given, this hints at the fact that Jesus came from eternity. He already was in existence, but he was given to die for the sins of the whole world. So I'll just focus on that part for now because I want to show Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God, that it was prophesying here that the Messiah is God. But, but his name just, just describes him. It's, it's called wonderful. And wonderful, by the way, is, is a noun. This is not an adjective here. He's, he's counselor. That speaks of Jesus' wisdom. He's mighty God. This Messiah will be mighty God, speaking of his power. And it calls him the everlasting father. Now, this doesn't mean that in, in the Trinity that Jesus is the father because you have father, son, Holy Spirit. There's three in one. You have one essence who, eternity, who eternally exists. And three persons, three personalities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the Son is not the Father, Father, not the Son, Holy Spirit, not the Son, and vice versa. So all of that. So you have this triangle. If you picture that, one triangle, three different points. Each point is not the other, but it's one triangle. And so you can kind of think of it like that. But everything, any example we can give about the Trinity is going to fall short. But it's not saying here that the Messiah, that Jesus will be the father. This means here that he's the source of eternity. So if if you're the father of something, you're the source of it. So in other words, it's saying that in calling the Messiah, the everlasting father says he's the source of eternity. But then the scriptures tell us, and here we're going to look at the New Testament The scriptures tell us that the Messiah, well, after this, we'll look at the New Testament, but the scriptures tell us also in Isaiah 9, 6, that not only was the Messiah fully God, is he, he is fully God, but that also he's fully or truly man. And you find that in that same verse in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, for unto us a child is born. So some people think that's repetitious. Unto us a, ch- a child is born. Unto us a son is given. No, one is talking about Jesus' humanity, the Messiah's humanity. 
a child being born. So according to his humanity, there was a start point. At one point in history, he got a body that the father prepared for him that never existed before. So the child was born. Jesus is humanity. But unto us, a son is given. It's not repetitious. Once again, we covered it earlier. That's speaking of, once again, his deity. So, so this is just an example of what we say that when we say that Jesus is the God man, he's fully or truly God and fully or truly man. So you have one person with two natures, one person, Jesus, who has God nature and the nature of man. But in having that nature of man, Jesus never has a sin nature. He doesn't have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. And one reason that Jesus doesn't have a sin nature is that he wasn't born like the rest of us. He didn't come from the seed of a man. He was the seed of a woman miraculously put into Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon her. And so that sin nature wasn't passed on in him, but the human nature was. So he's fully or truly human. A child is born, but also fully and truly God. The son is given. But then we see, and here's where we get to the New Testament, when we talk about the Messiah's mission. And so you can see this in the Old Testament as well, but I decided to use a New Testament verse for this. And so to give you context in Matthew 1, uh, what's going on here is that Joseph was engaged or he was betrothed to Mary, the virgin. And he found out that the, the woman he's engaged to was pregnant. It wasn't him. And, and so he wanted to divorce her privately. Now notice that their engagement or that betrothal what was so binding in that culture that there had to be a divorce. The engagement today, people could say, I don't like you anymore. Give me my ring back. And that's it. Engagement's over. But, but no, here, there, there had to be a divorce. But, and Joseph wanted to do that. But the angel of the Lord told him not, not to, but instead, take her. Take her as your wife. And so the angel also said this following to him in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 21. It says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus, that name, this is the English version of the Greek word Iesus. And so Jesus' name in Greek is Iesus. And Jesus is is the English version of that. But Jesus and Iesus has the same meaning as Joshua. And Joshua is the English spelling of the Hebrew word Yehoshua or Yeshua. So Yehoshua, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, Iesus, they all mean the same thing. And here is referring to the same person. And what do, what do those names mean? What does Jesus mean? Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua. What do they all mean? They all mean Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Or it could mean Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation or the Lord is salvation. And so Emmanuel, God with us, is who Jesus is. 
but the name Jesus describes his mission. He came to save his people from their sins. And so guess what? Now that we have covered this, and this may be a refresher for some of you of why Jesus came and what the name Jesus means. What I'm going to do, I'm going to let everyone else argue about whether or not to celebrate Christmas. Oh, because December 25th may not be the correct date that Jesus was born. Oh, I'm I'm not going to celebrate Christmas. I'm, I'm going to leave that up to you to argue about that. But for me personally, any season it is a great season to celebrate Jesus coming into this world because he came into this world that he created because he's God. He's God. He came into this world that he created in order to save us. In other words, he came on a rescue mission. And so whatever Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, Jesus came in that garden of Eden. Jesus came to fix it. He came once again on that rescue mission to save humanity, to die on our behalf, to take the penalty that we deserve. And so, yes, any season for me is Christmas season to celebrate the the, the fact that my Savior came to this world. He came from eternity, as we learn, and he came into this world, clothed himself in humanity in a human body in order for him that he would die in order that he would die. In obedience to the Father and in love for us. And just as the Virgin Mary had Jesus inside of her, inside of her womb, when when she was pregnant with him. I, I would say that if you are an unbeliever, if you're a person who has never put your trust and faith in Christ, I would say this, that you can repent, you can put your faith in Christ, and that Jesus would, if you were to do that, he would indwell you as well. Yes, he was physically inside of Mary's womb, but spiritually he can indwell you if you're an unbeliever, if you would repent and put your faith in Christ as the worship team takes the stage. In fact, this is what it says in Romans 8, 9. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, another way of mentioning the Holy Spirit, then he is not his. So if you want to belong to Christ, if you want to belong to God the Father, if you want to enter into eternity, you need to be born again. You need to repent. Put your faith in Christ and the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. And for the believer who has Christ in us, the question I want to ask is, can people see that Christ is in us? Oh, they physically knew that that Mary had Christ in her because her belly was poking out. She was physically pregnant, literally pregnant. But as believers, can people tell that Christ is indwelling us through the Holy Spirit? Can they tell, in other words, by our lifestyle? Can they tell by the way we speak? Can they tell by the way we love each other, the way we treat each other, that Christ is in us? May that be our prayer for this season and every season that we'll become more like Christ and that others will see Christ via the Holy Spirit living 
that life through us. Let's pray as we get ready for communion. Father God, we, we thank you for, for your word. Thank you, Father, for sending your only begotten son to die on that cross for us. Lord, we thank you that we recognize that, that Jesus is the reason for this season as songs have been made with those lyrics and a lot of people say it. And we know that as believers that Jesus is the reason for every season and the ladies who just had the ladies tea, they acknowledge that as well this past weekend. But I pray, Father, that you would forgive us of any sin if there's any sin in our lives as we prepare for communion. And if there's anything we need to confess clearly and directly to you, I pray that you would Show us, Lord. And we thank you that you are a forgiving God. And may you bless the elements during this time that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.